0: Welcome to the Deviate with Rolf Potts podcast, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people, and find fascinating ways to go off-topic. I'm Rolf Potts, travel writer, author, teacher, and now podcaster. Today I talk to travel writer and TV host Ernest White II, a.k.a. Fly Brother, and what I love about this episode is that I hadn't planned on interviewing Ernest for the podcast, at least not at first. Ernest was just visiting me at my home in Kansas. He had just gotten done giving a talk to students at Bethany College. And as I was driving him back to the airport in Wichita, I realized that the conversation we were having in real time was exactly what I wanted to evoke in my podcast. So right there in the car, I turned on the digital recorder, which, by the way, will explain the highway noise in this interview. Now, I first met Ernest at the Margaret Mead Film Festival in New York in 2014. We're both travel writers, and we'd appeared in a documentary that premiered at the festival called Gringo Trails, which is about the effects of global tourism. And Ernest is just one of those guys that I immediately bonded with. We just clicked as humans for a number of reasons, one of which is long-term travel, of course. But we also have teachers for parents. We both lived overseas as teachers and freelance writers for long periods of time. And we just had this natural rapport from the get-go. And when Ernest came to Kansas this year, we found that we spent a lot of time talking about male friendship and our friendship specifically at the meta level, in part because for all our commonalities, Ernest is black and I'm white. Ernest is gay and I'm straight. And we just wound up spending a lot of time thinking out loud about this dynamic in our friendship in a way that maybe most male friends don't. I mean, we live in an era where there's no shortage of talk about race and sexual orientation, but it feels like so much of it happens at the 140-character level in social media in a way that sometimes feels prescriptive and performative and kind of bloodless. And I think one of the reasons I started this podcast is that I'm frustrated by the limits of how we communicate in social media. And I just miss the warmer, less prescriptive conversations, the open-ended and open-hearted conversations that can happen in real time with people we love and respect. Uh, And so part of the fun of these conversations, of course, is that they can take on an energy of their own. And so while Ernest and I begin by talking about race and sexual orientation and masculine friendship, we eventually drift into talk about being Americans overseas. And part of the fun here is that for all the categories we use to distinguish ourselves inside of America, like race or sexual orientation or whatever, Traveling abroad has a way of making those distinctions fall away so that inevitably we just see our common Americanness more clearly. Anyway, I should probably stop talking about my conversation with Ernest and just hit play. Uh, before I do that, real quick, for more information about the topics we cover in the conversation, including books mentioned and concepts like tall poppy syndrome, uh, check the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. If you want to see Ernest in person, he'll be performing at an event I'm hosting in New York on March 26, 2018, in tandem with the release of my forthcoming book, Souvenir. For more information on that, uh, go to rolfpotts.com events. And as always, you can email me with questions or insights at deviate at All right, here's Ernest. Anyway, I'm on the road in Kansas with Ernest White II. Is it Ernest White the second or Ernest White II? It is Ernest White II, but Thank okay. you for asking. Right. I guess that would be ab- that, that's sort of absurd that it'd be Ernest White II. Yeah, well, that's I, like a sequel.
1: Yeah, I exactly. I may be a myth and a legend, but I'm also
0: a man. And you're you're not the sequel to your father, <laughs> you're the son the of your father. Me, yeah. Um so 2.0 beta. 2.0 beta, Ernest White, from Jacksonville, Florida, aka Fly Brother. Uh, travel writer, TV presenter. I want to cover a lot of topics. But this literally, we're jumping in. This is a deviate podcast with Rolf Potts. But we're jumping on in, in the middle of a conversation, and it's a conversation that I'm really enjoying, and it sort of lasted 36 hours because <laughs> Ernest, brave man that he is, did something that not many people do, which is visit me in Kansas. I and, did. And I have many friends from all over the world that I've invited to Kansas, but Ernest pulled the trigger, and I respect him for that, and I think he's had a good time. And one thing that I wanna capture in this podcast is the idea that what I love about uh, podcasts is conversations between friends and and interesting conversations between friends. And our conversation has been so interesting uh, over the last day and a half that it feels like a shame not to capture it here. So even though this is not an orthodox way to start an episode (laughs) on the middle of Interstate 135 in North Central Kansas is what we're gonna do. And one way to introduce my friendship uh, with Ernest is that we have two huge things in common. Travel is one. Yes. um, We're both over six feet tall. We're both over six feet tall.
1: That's the second one, right?
0: And now that Ernest has hung out with my mother, we sort of (laughs) have the same mother.
1: We do. (laughs) Yes, we do have the same mother. Yours is more of the vanilla variety and mine of the... Cafe con leche variety,
0: but which brings up our differences. Really, is <laughs> Ernest? Twin-like. I'm I'm a white American. Yes, you are. Uh, with an ethnic name from Kansas, and Ernest is a black American with sort of a meat and potatoes name. It, 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 relatively preppy when you add the second to it. That's true, yeah, Ernest White the second. Yes. But you know, Ernest Hemingway. You know, he was That's a true yes. manly man. Black American from Jacksonville. Um, <laughs> I'm a straight male. He's a gay male. I am gay. That's a he thing. is gay. Which I actually didn't know, and this can be part of our conversation, uh, the first time we hung out, which was at the... Uh, the premiere what, the of world, Trails. The world premiere Ringo Trails uh, by uh, Peggy Bell and Melvin Estrella, which was a documentary about travel. And so we just talked about travel as travelers do, you know. Correct. That's what we did. Uh, and so it didn't... And so then it, it, our first conversation of involving the fact that Ernest is gay and I'm straight. It's interesting. We don't. I guess we don't announce ourselves as straight. It's the normative identity, right? Yes. Um, so I learned it on this trip. Uh, and so I think part of our conversation is going to be what we've talked about already, which is brotherhood between gay dudes and straight dudes. Because it shouldn't be weird, but... And I think for a new generation of Americans, maybe it's less weird. But maybe there's less brotherhood across uh, sexual orientation lines than there could be. Um, I agree, yes. And, and and of course, there's less brotherhood um, along racial li- lines, shamefully, in America than there could be too. So um, even though we have a lot in common in the travel and the um, badass mother sense, um, <laughs> we probably won't be talking about travel much in this conversation because uh, the most interesting parts of our off-the-mic conversations recently have been um, just relevant to our differences and and how... And this is this is sort of a weird aside, that sort of when I first hung out with Ernest, I sort of knew he was going to be my buddy, you know, that something clicked. Agreed, agreed. We had a good time. Yeah. I'm going I'm to move my mic down just a little bit. Okay. Um, and, you know, that, that could be a travel thing. That could be that we were both raised by tough school teacher mothers and, and school teacher fathers. Um, but... And this is, a, this is a third topic that I might bring up in the course of this conversation as we drive towards Wichita, we're putting Ernest back on a plane, is adult friendships. I think a lot of our friends, at least in my case, you can disagree, Ernest. Um, a lot of my buddies I go back to are high school friends, college friends, grad school friends, and some travel friends. So the idea among men, and this could be a straight guy thing, that you have less just sort of open up and share your heart friends that you met in your 40s than in your teens or 20s. May not be your experience, but it sort of has been for me. Okay, Uh, and so that might be a a, a tertiary topic that we can talk about. Certainly,
1: because I I have had the opposite experience. I feel like many of the guys that I grew up with, as a high schooler, as a nerd, as a fat kid, quote unquote, um, and as a kid that was being bullied for being gay early on, like I just did not have a lot of guy friends when I was in high school. I had more from college and I still, and we're still friends to this day and uh, yeah the majority of the male friends that I've made in my life have been as a full-blown working adult.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Now um, you say as a gay male in school, were you out gay or were you just didn't want to broach that part of your identity with... I wouldn't say I was
1: out, uh, I definitely kind of had these emotional crushes on some of the female friends that I had. Huh. Um, but it was more because I was socialized in a heterosexual or heteronormative environment like most people in the huh. world, and certainly most people my age, approaching 40. Um, and that said, I mean, I still had traits or uh, yeah. that could be considered effeminate. And because of that, you know, I was made fun of, called faggot and all these other, you know, sissy, et cetera, et cetera. So it didn't matter really what my sexual orientation was. It was more about how I presented
0: in terms of being a boy from a masculinity perspective. And with, and just racially, was it was it mostly black people in high school or was it mixed? It was. I went to. I, I grew up in a very segregated environment. Okay. Um, I'm
1: actually, you know, I'm to use a South African phrase, a born free, meaning I was born at, after the end of segregation. Jacksonville of legal segregation but we still had a lot of cultural segregation people didn't just all of a sudden up and move into neighborhoods that they hadn't been welcome in legally for so many generations before once segregation was over so we still lived in a relatively balkanized society in my hometown so my high school which had about I think 2,000 students at the time only had maybe like three white students So it was a majority black school. Um, That said, I'm not sure what kind of experience I would have had otherwise. I don't, but I don't believe that uh, you know black society in America is any more homophobic than white society at large. I believe you've got issues of religion. I believe you've got issues of you know just different types of masculinities, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I feel like in general. You get the same kinds of issues across race and economics when it comes to like high school bullying and
0: coming-of-age traumas right. so I'm curious to know since it feels like these relationships form young and a lot of the tentativeness happens at that age what is what is a young gay man afraid of and what do you think the young straight men are afraid of in um, this exchange In terms of being friends.
1: Yeah. I think that a young gay dude is probably afraid of rejection. Okay. Certainly of being seen as less of a man, of being seen as unworthy of friendship. Mm -hmm. Um, I think more often than not, the hypothetical romantic relationship aspect of it is overplayed and over-discussed,
0: you know? quite often so the hypothetical romantic interest right if i'm
1: like a if you know as a gay dude if i was friends with a straight guy i never really thought about that guy in a sexual way even if he was an attractive guy mostly because there were dudes who identified as gay that i knew of that i found myself to be attracted to right if you will right um I'm not saying that that's everybody's experience. I also recognize that this is my own particular experience and I'm also talking about friendships that have formed, again, as I've really kind of come into my own and owning my own identity. Okay. And that's different than being a teenager, for example. Right. uh, At least in my case. Uh, But let's say the friendships that I developed in college with straight guys, I can't really say that I had, you know, the expectation of our friendship turning into something romantic. Uh-huh. and therefore on the other side if I did have a friendship with these guys and they knew about my sexuality already they didn't have a problem with their, they didn't doubt their own sexuality Gotcha. and they didn't see me as a threat to that and I think that may be with a lot of guys who are coming out of situations where let's say having been friends with a gay dude publicly would have had people doubting their sexuality or had people kind of making fun of them for befriending the gay dude. Um, And I think that's changing now, obviously, but in my generation, I think a lot of younger guys who eventually became my friend, maybe a few years before we became friends, would not have been my friend because they still would have been scared of that social rejection, that social cost to having a gay friend. And once they got to a place of owning their own identity, recognizing like me having a gay friend has no bearing whatsoever on me as a person or my own sexuality or whatever, the friendship can commence. So a lot of it is, it's obviously both sides have to be past their own issues with rejection. Right. That was a kind of strange. uh, Answer. I think I don't know. I'm just. I'm, I can only speak from my own personal right. experience, obviously.
0: Yeah, and I think our own personal experiences are pegged to a very specific time. You're Certainly. you're just short of forty. I'm. I just turned forty-seven. So right. it's a different era. I Absolutely, think. Absolutely, man. I think twenty-year-olds they're having these kinds
1: of interactions and friendships. You know, thirty-year people my age as well. But I just feel like younger generations have less baggage to deal yeah. with because they're coming. Of age in a time when there's more visibility, there's more empowerment. You know, you see friendships that cross all kinds of uh, perceived superficial barriers, just because people are recognizing that it's the the, the similarities that make you friends, not the differences.
0: I think it's because more information is available too. Just absolutely through social media, it, it demystifies things. You know, yes. like um, I think. A, a straight kid of my generation may, may have been more likely to sort of fantasize otherness on his gay peer because right. now he can go to a social media profile and it's like, okay, so he's into he's into professional soccer, this band, that band. You can right. find your commonalities without even asking him a question. Exactly. It's humanizing in that way. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there's, there's disadvantages to this social media thing, but I think it also demystifies things that it makes... Because... There wasn't a lot of spoken outness of of gay young men when I was a kid. It was a guessing game, and there was a lot of straight-seeming guys that you didn't realize were gay, that you had a lot in common with, but it just never came up because that was never... The protocols weren't in place uh, for talking about sexuality at that age. And maybe that's still hard, too. But I want to talk also about... um, Obviously, neither of us are going back to our adolescence. But as someone you know, maybe of a generation X or an older millennial type person who never had these conversations as a teenager, how do you, how do you bring um, new friends into the fold despite differences of sexual
1: orientation? Um, I think for me it's just easy in the sense of, again, focusing on the similarities. So you and I obviously have an incredible affinity for travel. We're the sons of educators, that alone kind of sets us up for a lot of mutual understanding in a lot of ways and so if we do come to a point where there needs to be additional explanation or you know a series of questions however long that lasts I mean it comes from a place of understanding that this person is someone that I can relate to on a foundational level anyway and so everything else ends up being window dressing. And so I think, you know, again, with that focus on the the, the similarities right. of, of of people across humanity, that's how I'm able to really engage with new friends and, and, and move forward regardless of the background, the boundary, the barrier that is put up by society. Really, that's what it is. And we're still trying, we're, we've try to break down those barriers almost Organically, when we perceive that this is something that's not right, this barrier really is
0: unnecessary, you know, but we're told that it's a barrier when really it isn't. One thing I'm curious about too, and I think it's in the context of what you were just saying, is that numerically there's more white Americans than black Americans, numerically there's more straight males than gay males, and so in a way, we know that though. Uh, the, the, the sexual orientation or yeah. the or the oh. about the sexual orientation because I'm guarantee you there are people
1: who don't answer that question if they've been asked honestly right
0: yeah and and then there's acknowledging the sexuality on a spectrum um, correct That's, uh, which is what I subscribe a- to aspect which is I think some someone who identifies straight um, in a fairly binary way like me and that could be culturally conditioned too I think the idea of um, uh, how did I just characterize it on a uh, on a spectrum On a spectrum, the yeah is, is, is newer to the conversation Agreed, agreed um, anyway, But my point was being that it's Is it, would you agree that it's sort of on It becomes um, On the non-straight white male To do the heavy lifting in these situations To sort of explain matters of difference uh, I think in the sense of there being
1: Obviously, if you're being asked questions by a f- the friend who fits within the category of the majority, quote-unquote, right. then, yeah, there's the teachable moment ends up kind of falling a little bit more heavily on the side of the person who historically has been othered. But, let's say, in our case, I mean, obviously, there's so many other things that we talk about, but we talk about those issues in very profound and kind of... Um, broadly adventurous ways like we explore the topic in many different ways and I think that keeps it interesting that keeps me engaged and keeps it in a way that's you know that, that where you can see the growth and development happening and so there's less of
0: a propensity for fatigue in that case so, so give me like a hypothetical example uh, yeah.
1: I mean just the fact that we're even talking about we well, are asking me these questions now because mm. You know we've talked about sexuality we've talked about travel we've talked about you know connection with other people and and intimacy and relationship and romance etc um but one of the things that i mean you you when you do consider the topics that we've discussed then you ask me a question in a very new and kind of in in a way that's a departure from the way we've described it before the way we've discussed it before so now you're asking me about my sexuality in the context of friendships with straight guys,
0: oh, right, right, you know,
1: we hadn't talked about that before. Right, And so while yes, I end up being the person in this particular situation who does a lot of the talking and therefore who's doing a lot of the explaining, we'll come around to talking about something else, talking about Kansas.
0: Like yesterday we talked a lot about <coughs> race and I think we can get back to that because you had racial expectations coming to Kansas, um, you're my... Uh, travel friend but who's also black right and and then also you're you're hanging out with my mom and my dad and my my high school friend and so it becomes this topic of conversation yes and so I'm wondering if that gets fatiguing that you're sort of the black splainer in this type of situation um, or if you're the gay splainer in this type of situation just because of that so that can be fatiguing I'm not gonna lie right
1: but at the same time I mean part of it is that's Not everyone has done this. Not everyone has to do this. You know, take it on as their role. I'm an educator. I'm also a person that's huge when it comes to wanting people to have understanding amongst each other. And so I do take it upon myself sometimes to step into the role of, I don't wanna say an explainer,
0: but as a contextualizer, let's say. So maybe it's less fatiguing for you because that's almost part of your mission, you know, it's part of part, your it, vocation.
1: I would say that. And also I'm trained to do it because I, you know, have an education that has, is, is very much aligned with pedagogy and with hmm. teaching. Right. And so therefore, I, these are topics that I've had to explore with students. And, and so for me and you to talk about it. Like, I'm okay with talking about it, but I think it's important to recognize that not everybody is going to be okay with talking about it. And sometimes I'm kind of like, man, let's talk about something else. Right, right. I haven't really had to say that, but I also feel like talking with you about it is not a waste of time. Mm. And talking with you about it also is, you do the legwork, you do the homework, you've read The Warmth of Other sons, you read James Baldwin so you're coming to the questions or you're coming to the conversation with informed questions right i'm not having to do i'm not having to basically google things for you and i think that's something that i appreciate you've done the work so when you come to me and ask me a question it's a very it's a serious and considered question therefore my answer is going to be similarly serious and considered
0: right and in a way, this is maybe not typical because maybe oh, typical most random white dudes haven't read Baldwin, and I've read Baldwin pretty recently. Um, I probably read Born Through the Sons a couple years ago, and then then most black dudes aren't aren't pedagogues. You know, they're they're not teachers who have considered this from a. So I guess there's a, there could be a more inherent awkwardness to this. But if this is a prototype type conversation, because I'm just. Maybe as a traveler, I'm interested in conversations that cross cultural lines. Absolutely, and that there is a culture between uh, straight and male sexuality along that spectrum, right? Certainly, certainly. And there's a, there's a cultural differences between um, Black Americanness and White Americanness, which is also a spectrum. Yes, there is. Uh, because I'm a, mid- a lot of our conversation recently have been about. The Regional Midwesternness yeah, of yeah. my whiteness, <laughs> um, and then and then and sort of the southerness of your blackness, uh, and then but then also the fact that our moms are, are cousins in their own way. Yeah, know? very much so. Uh, and, and, and so it's uh, that's part of the spectrum, and that, I think that's why it's it's good to be non-binary in the way we classify everything.
1: I, absolutely, man. And what I was gonna say, I do feel like you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the fact that we are we're interested in culture. As travelers, we're interested in getting into what makes societies work, how people think, because we enjoy that interaction. We enjoy really having genuine experiences. And so therefore, because we both enter these conversations from that place, it's not fatiguing because we do enjoy it on a certain level. Right. You know, it's not like I'm having to do the heavy lifting and it's not like you're asking me questions, like I mentioned before, that indicate you really have no interest in truly finding out. You're just using me because I'm easy to ask this question of, right? you know?
0: Well, I think that's why um, travel, and again, I don't want to make this about travel, is a great educator in itself, even among these foundational American differences along all the spectrums which make us Americans. Yes, I think that sometimes well-meaning progressive Americans keep it all in abstraction, you know, that there's a political way of addressing race, sexual orientation, things like that. When you travel, then suddenly you're in a room and the only thing that's obvious to these people is your Americanness. Correct. Regardless of your race, sexual orientation, other things that identify you, and that um, we can micromanage the ways in which privilege touches us, and then suddenly, you know, as black Americans, white Americans, female Americans, male Americans, and then suddenly we're in South Sudan or... Um, South India yes, yes. or um, South Africa, yeah, and then suddenly none of that matters. Mm-hmm. That the only privilege in the room is us as Americans who are who are mobile and have flown to this to this part of the world, um, and so that's. I think it, it gives us it, it. All the abstractions with which we sometimes overlay political talk in the United States become concrete because we feel sides of ourselves that we're not forced to feel exactly uh, or allowed home. to feel at home. Either. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, not to get too self-congratulatory um, with, with, our, with our conversation. As, I am all about patting myself on the back. <laughs> okay. okay, which is actually another, <laughs> another part of the thing that I appreciate about, appreciate about you is that yesterday we got on the topic of tall poppy syndrome, which was yeah. new to Ernest, but it's about this way of not standing out too much. And I think Americans oftentimes, and I think often well-meaning white Americans, who are trying to do the right thing dial back their Americanness around non-Americans, not wanting to be the tall poppy, when in sometimes maybe you should just own the poppiness. You should swagger and walk tall. And I appreciate it that way because I think sometimes I'm too, I, I rein in my Americanness too much. And your point, and you're going to explain this better than me, yeah. is that as long as you're not being an asshole, as long as you aren't being an ugly American, if you're, if you're outgoing and, and loud and happy-go-lucky and 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 strong in your opinions, then why shouldn't you own it and just be that person? It's not you, it's them.
1: I agree a hundred percent. The thing is again, it's important to stress, and I can't stress this enough, that you need to you have to have awareness, which means knowing when right. to listen, knowing when to be quiet, knowing when to let people be right, knowing when to, you know, allow people to be people, regardless, even if they're, you know, even if they're kind of Plumbing the depths of stereotypes, negative stereotypes against Americans. Like, is right. it even worth engaging this thing? You know, to, on the flip side of that, obviously, is you are who you are. You're from where you're from. And there's a beauty to our loudness, I think, because it is character. It is, it is indicative of people who come from a place where, for better or worse, a society was constructed, yes, on top of the ruins of a society that existed, but we're making, we're doing the best that we can with what we've got. We can, well, I take that back, we can do much better. But still, as Americans, sometimes things are always thrown into this pile of negativity, but I feel like we can be go-getters. There are other people, and this is not to say that people from other countries and other societies aren't either, but I'm saying, like, as an American, we, we, can, we can go out and, and explore the world in a way that can be interactive and, and full of connectivity and, and open-hearted. And we can be bold and brash about it because it's almost expected of us anyway. And if that's how you are, then why do you have to dim your own light? for someone else to feel better about themselves, you know, if you are engaging with people, if you go out and you speak to people, if you ask people questions about their lives and and, and express interest, if you are embodying things that in some society, and again, I don't mean be disrespectful, you know, be aware of the the world around you and, and in some ways know that there's a time and a place. So, you know, I wouldn't walk up into, let's say, a religious a place of worship being a loud American, not if I'm aware of it, you know, obviously right. this is a place for contemplation it's a place for, you know, people to kind of, to, to connect with whatever they're connecting with, but well, in,
0: go ahead, sorry. Well I think there's a there's a, it occurred to me as you were talking that there is a, there's a prescription with the idea that Americans shouldn't be loud and exuberant, and it's often class based, yeah. is that the reason that, that sort of a stiff upper lick lip underspoken nature is common in like English society Right, is tied to the fact that it's the working class that's noisy and boisterous right. who
1: has emotions
0: right and so you have to sort of telegraph your status through your <laughs> stiff upper lip right and so in a way you know I grew up and you know in America yeah usually the, the black kids were the loudest table in the cafeteria. Well, suddenly in Europe, I'm the black kid, you know, uh, the American kids are the black kid in the cafeteria of Europe, you know. But there's sort of a, <laughs> my american dirty looks
1: and wanting them to shut up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or, Which is a wanting literal to thing. join the table yeah. because they're having the most fun. Because they're the cool kids, right? Exactly. Uh, and so I've seen this, and I don't know, like, I, I can't scientifically say if the Greek or the French or the English people are angry because we're noisy or because it's, we're being too low, you know, or too common, you mean. Yeah, too common.
1: Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, obviously we're generalizing because there are plenty of the quiet American. That's The reason that's a movie is because it's a thing. And then there's also, you know, loud and boisterous Brits, especially when they get drunk. That's true. (laughs) I love you, my British friends, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, And, you know, so we're generalizing here. But I think part of it is when the people are looking at the loud and boisterous table, how do those people feel about themselves? Is it, you know what, I, I wanna go over and join because I'm feeling good, they look like they're having a good time, and hell, why not? Or there's like, I'm feeling miserable over here in my little ball of misery.
0: And I, I again,
1: I may be exaggerating, but they're having too much fun. They're enjoying themselves too much, and that's making me uncomfortable. Well, that's really about how you're feeling about yourself. That's not about right. what the people are doing. Are they in your face? Are they, like, being, you know, unnecessarily loud right in your ear? That's something different Then you say, please, could you tone it down a bit? Are you reading a book? And were you there reading the book before the table of people got there? Yeah. You know, there are many different, I guess, issues that go or, or, or elements
0: to I, the I moving I guess that parts, underpins right? everything we're talking about is that generalizations come easy, yes. you know, and that, that who we are... As individuals could be, or even who we are on that day. You know, the person who gets angry Certainly. with the loud people could just be over or they could have yeah, yeah. had a breakup in their life, right? And, and but um, and so I, I think there's a certain like we've we're using the loud American as sort of a a trope, a, a case in point, yeah, 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 yeah. for discussing um, to sort of jump a couple of, of of beats sideways from what we were talking about as far as our masculine identities, that we have these American identities that that um, that express themselves in specific situations. I have a funny story as an aside. It happened in France this summer. Um, my Korean is better than my French. I had a Korean student and she was just so tickled that my Korean was pretty decent, especially when I drank soju, that like okay. me and a couple of other students and like 15 um, uh, uh, students went to this Korean restaurant, and, okay. and, and Ka Young and I were teaching everyone eating and drinking Korean. And we were boisterous and happy-go-lucky in a very Korean way. The, the, there was this little s- snippet of Korea, very international because we were an international bunch. There was okay. uh, uh, two Koreans and, and me who spoke a little Korean. And then a bunch of uh, uh, white or South Asian American and Canadian folks in this room and we were being noisy and loud and boisterous and brotherly and sisterly in a very Korean way mm. a French a group of French people came in and got mad at us for being loud Americans it was wait, such a wait they came in after the fact they came in after the fact which is actually so they moved into the neighborhood and complained
1: that the church down the street was having choir rehearsal too loud or this the is folks playing the drums in the park like they've done for the past 20 right, years right, right.
0: are now a nuisance Exactly. Yeah, no, th- that, that was the weird sub-dynamic, and this could be a podcast of its own. Okay. But I think that these were people from the neighborhood who enjoyed the food at this restaurant. And if they were Americans, this could be a French thing, that if we were Americans and I go in and there's 20 super noisy French people, I mean, uh, or, well, let's just say French people enjoying themselves in a restaurant, I might go down to the street at, at, to the hummus joint, Right. Or to the uh, to the taco place and just eat my Korean food some other night.
1: But if there's, tw- I mean, twenty noisy people, period.
0: Well, it's hard to Even shut up twenty were... noisy people, right? Right, regardless of where they're from. Like I was the I was the professor in the room, and that Paris program is my pr- program. I felt bad. I didn't want to hurt the French people's feelings. But you try to shut up twenty people who are having a good time, you know, especially when they've had a little bit of soju and uh, and are just enjoying each other's company, and so. Um, to them, it was the tyranny of the foreigners in the restaurant. For like us, it was sort of the foreigners. tyranny of—they're foreigners. Well, but they didn't see us as—they didn't see us as enjoying ourselves in a Korean way. They saw us as noisy Americans. You know what I'm saying? And that's
1: when I shrug my shoulders, Kanye style, and I don't know. I mean,
0: and that's I mean, why I wish I could walk <laughs> as tall as you. And what? maybe I should just be more earnest, like in the way um, that I should just not let it bother me, right? (laughs) I don't know if if being more
1: earnest-like is a good idea, but I will say this, man. At a certain point, like, what can you do? There was alcohol. People were having a good time. If folks came in, regardless of where they were from, with a curmudgeonly attitude or want okay, yeah, I get it. You want to go to a place and have a nice, quiet dinner, but the environment was not nice and quiet when you arrived. Yeah. Therefore, you need to find another place to go at that moment. It would be different yeah. if you'd been there, or you, you know, and it was nice and quiet, and then folks ramped up quickly, or a group of people just barreled into the place. I'd be annoyed with it, but at the right. same time, it's a public place. So you have to deal with public with the public when it's a public right. place. Otherwise, just stay at home. In Paris, I was with a group of people. We were being "quote unquote" loud Americans at a restaurant having a great time, and the it, the, the the group that was next to us started, you know, being really belliger- not belligerent, but just kind of rudely asking, telling us to be quiet. Mm. Now they were all smoking. Huh. And they, huh. you know, galois after galois And, like, right, at a certain a, point, it's like, right. you know, we want to breathe Right And that was kind of what we said to them We're like, okay, we're sorry And we toned it down, but then they didn't stop They were like, one of them even said, ghetto. And that was when we looked at each other, like Did she just say what we thought she said? And then they got really quiet hmm.
0: and, and so what, what did they say? Ghetto. Which is? ghetto. Oh, so was it all black Americans? Yes, it was, as a matter of fact. In Paris. In
1: Paris. And uh, don't get me wrong, I love Paris, but like you've got your issues with that particular, there's racism everywhere, there's classes of blah, 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 we know this. Um, But so my point is, I've been in situations where at a certain point, like what could we have done? We apologized to them and we Mm. tried to tone it down. We weren't really drinking, but at the same time, here they are in
0: a restaurant in their home in their own
1: town smoking and smoking and smoking and smoking and smoking yeah. and so at a certain point we had to realize like it's just it is what it is it's what's yeah. gonna happen we're in a public place and there are gonna be people who do what they feel inclined to do and there has to be some level of coexistence yeah. and so you know you find that equilibrium but when it comes it's a back to the tall poppy thing and the fact that as Americans you know sometimes we end up apologizing just for being American. Like, I'm not going to do that. I, right. I, I, I actually did that for a little while when I, you know, in the, during the Bush administration. But then I
0: realized, like, what was the point of that? I am American. Well, as long as you're not being like the ignoramus American. But as long
1: know? as you're not being an ignoramus in general, like, it really doesn't right. matter yeah. where you're
0: from. Right.
1: Other people get passes because they're from places, you know, like where they're supposed to be. More polite, but at the same time, they're being passive-aggressive douchebags. Like, right, right. just be aggressive. That's kind okay. of my feeling about it. Like, if you're gonna be a douchebag, then c- come at me, bro. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> don't don't be yeah. passive-aggressive about it. And that's that still goes into along the lines with the whole tall poppy thing. I'm coming at you from a place of authenticity
0: and genuineness. And I think as long as you're willing to listen, to not back down, but say, you know, you can. You can tell me what's weird to me about an American, but I'm not going to stop being American. Well, I'll tell you this. I would often ask people, you know, or we'd get
1: into conversations and people would have their opinions about Americans and about black Americans and about whatever else. And sometimes i would just let them have their opinion and not because i felt like it was what's the point there's no use in me not i don't mean so much as their minds can't be changed but i may have just wanted to eat my dinner at that point i may have realized like i'm never gonna see this person again and i don't have the time energy effort or desire to engage in uh, what i know would be a long and protracted kind of situation where I would be doing a lot of explaining possibly to someone who's being willfully ignorant yeah. on the flip side like if I feel like there's a, here's a learning opportunity then I will weigh in and I'll say you know well maybe have you thought about it from this perspective it's really just asking people have they ever considered the other person's perspective and that goes a long way again listening not talking as much as I talk, not talking so much, letting people tell their own stories, and being really open-hearted and kind of heart-centered, that's how you become a person that's not the ugly American or not the ugly any nationality.
0: Well, sometimes that's my advice to people who are worried about this, is like sort of turning it around and being being the curious American and, and just sort of changing the topic away from the stereotypes of american and making it about where we are you know like if a bunch of british people are taking issue with the americans in greece well maybe we should just be talking about greece and not worrying about it too much like one one weird experience i had in greece was was kayaking up to a beach with a bunch of americans in crete being noisy and then a bunch of germans told us to be quiet because it's not very greek to be noisy and it's like they were all naked it was it was it was a nude beach and so it's like was it Greek to, to sunbathe nude? You know, right, right. And and so it was one of those weird. I mean, you get these, and I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse. There's other things we can talk about. But I remember once I had a, a British uh, producer on a TV show I was shooting here in the U.S. And every time we saw a fat person, he says, "Oh, look, an American." And it's like, dude, we're in America. Uh, yeah. Like,
1: and, and so and, you could just yeah. tell he
0: was in the habit of, of he sort of enjoyed the generalization of the of the overweight American. And but
1: <laughs> the thing is, though, as Americans, we typically have high enough self-esteem that we can just like shrug it off, or at least I yeah. do. like, well, yeah, okay. I but, didn't
0: feel bad about it. Yeah. I just it, it seemed like a weird thing for him to be fixating on in the United States, you know. Well, I'll say this, man. I lived in Latin America for a while, and I had to endure a lot of
1: opinion uh, um, opinions not backed up by facts from people and I'm like for all of that that you're saying and all that kind of trash-talking the United States you're still wrapped around the embassy trying to get a visa Yeah. yeah so like let's just play nice really like let's just be nice I love I love everywhere in the world yeah let's just be nice because at a certain point it's gonna end ugly when we're starting to compare things like, oh, this culture does this, this country does it. I get that we do it because, as human beings, you know, it's easy to categorize. But it's getting beyond the categorization. It's okay if you categorize out of habit, but then you
0: go beyond that with the dialogue, with the conversation, and the common ground. Yeah, and the common ground. The common ground. It, the, uh, ostensibly, we're having still having a conversation about our differences, but we've already drifted into talking about travel and our commonalities, right? We're Certainly. talking about being American. Uh, in, in sort of a non-racialized way, um, but that's because. But I, I think that's how good conversations end up: is yes. that why focus on the, the weirdness of our cultural differences as Americans versus French people versus Korean people, and just get excited about something, you know? Right. Uh, let's dance. And that's another way. I, I, you're a, you're a dancer more so than me, but I think that a dance is a great metaphor of that. If you think too much when you're dancing then you're not really dancing you're not dancing you're talking and and so so cross-culturally and this means at an international level or even just two dudes from a different part of the country you know with with different racial and sexual orientations where does the dance start you know because in a way that's a great part of being alive you know is is getting past the 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 categories that are difficult and i mean i think there's reasons as humans that we attach to difficulties because it it's been hardwired into us to to watch out for ourselves and our group, but when you're living is when you're dancing in, in the metaphorical Agreed. sense, especially because you're in the moment and there isn't really an end
1: point. And I think I, I that's not mine, guys. I read that somewhere. <laughs> like okay. you're in the dance, like yeah. that's where you start. It's just the appreciation. I feel like for me, it's it, it, And obviously, I'm not saying if, if I'm in a situation where somebody's trying to rob me. I'm being appreciative in that moment, um, but what I'm saying is like it's the appreciation of the diversity. It's the appreciation of the difference that is, a, let's say, a, a design difference more than anything. Mm. Mm. You know, and that's all. It's not a fundamental difference in the makeup of the the machine. It's just a design difference. It's aesthetic. Yeah. and nothing else that's all cult. culture is cosmetic that's what I, I got that from uh, the film Passing Strange which was uh, it was actually a Broadway musical about a uh, young guy who grew up in South Central Los Angeles and had gone to in the when it was uh, in the days of the black middle class and he wanted something more than just like going to college and getting married and having a breakfast nook he ended up mm-hmm. going to Amsterdam and to Berlin in the 80s, it was based on the, the narrator's true life story. And, uh, but yeah, one of the, the main messages in that piece of art was culture is cosmetic. And that hmm. has all, I, I understood that before I was able to, to, to attach it to that particular string of words.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I think there's oftentimes culture is, um... It's cosmetic, but... And I'm thinking cosmetic in like, cosmetics, like makeup. Super, well, it's superficial, I guess you could say. It's superficial, but it can be hardwired um,
1: oh, in a way useful. that you feel fear
0: at, at a way oh, totally. that has been conditioned by culture. Oh, absolutely. And, and, it's used to divide and, and, and control. But, but even, like, if you are if you grew up poor and your parents sort of um, associate spending money with a lack of virtue or as something that you just shouldn't do... Um, then you can feel fear, um, when you're around like more middle-class people, you know, well, yes. suddenly you've been culturally inculcated as a person with not much money, uh, to sort of feel punished when you're feeling, when you're spending money on something that you feel like you shouldn't be spending money on. And then it's a cultural thing that's, that's, that's pegged to social class, to economic class, um, but, well, if,
1: but think about it like this, if we throw all that out, though, and we look at, and I'm not saying this is an easy thing, but if we throw it out and just focus on the fact that human beings, regardless of economic background, heritage, geographic origin, want the same things, right, yeah. love, trust, understanding, safety, security, and everything, all fears are based on you not feeling those things at some point that's when you can understand that you know we actually can get beyond this that but it requires a lot of awareness I I do get that but like when you're in a space where you're with other people who's those other people are spending money you've been raised to believe that spending money is frivolous Mm. but then that's yours to work out that's your issue to work through to recognize that other people spending money in a way that they don't deem as frivolous has nothing to do with how you view money.
0: Or maybe even recognizing the cultural, that cultural part of yourself, you know, that that is something that comes from your own conditions. Well,
1: and it comes from your conditions and that allows you actually to look back at the history of why that is. Why do you come from a place where people are identifying spending money as something that is negative? Is it because you're coming from a place that has suffered physical lack for many generations? You know, either socioeconomically or because of a a natural disaster or whatever. Like at some point, there was a reason why this particular understanding
0: or relationship to money was developed. Well, it's racialized too. And often this will come up, like a, a minority student who goes to an Ivy League school, it's sometimes the most obvious thing, or not even a minority student, but just people who come from less money who are suddenly in a way who are around people who are spending money in ways that they had never even considered. Right. Feel that cultural... I mean, they might even feel resentment because there's oblivious people, upper middle class people who have been conditioned to go to to a certain fancy school have never sat down and thought about what it's like to not have that line of credit.
1: But see, I think a lot of that has to do... I mean, I, I think that's a definite danger definitely a dangerous generalization you know I'm a person of color who may have who grew up middle class but who grew up middle class to parents who were working class so their values were very working class values even though I grew up middle class so the idea of frivolous spending as a negative was something that I did grow up with but I also was I, I know about other things in life that are not related to money that are very valuable and that when you have an abundance you there i mean that you should be, there's only the need to be grateful for those things right. so i don't have to be spending five hundred dollars on a meal that's not going to make me feel bad that i don't have five hundred dollars to okay. spend on yeah, a meal yeah. because yeah. i've got friends i've got family i've got loved ones and we can spend five dollars on a meal and have as great a time as we would have had spending five hundred dollars on a meal does it mean that money is not an issue obviously i'm concerned about like Projects that I'm working on and financing those things and financing my own life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But to have that be a source of pain for me as I relate to other people, it's not been something that in my personal life has been a major issue. I do recognize that it is for other people, but again, I ask those other people to look at what they have in abundance in their life. Do you have an abundance of love? If so, then worry a little bit less about not being able to spend $500 on a meal.
0: Right. Well, actually the, 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 the reason I brought it up is sort of, and you mentioned your parents, it's, it's sort of a class difference I feel with my parents. Cause I grew up middle class and my dad did too, but my mom sort of grew up rural working class. And so her relationship to spending money feels weird to me. And even though I grew up in her house, that somehow I had, I was, inculcated with different cultural values towards money and I don't understand her fear towards spending money sometimes you, but and so that that's why I brought it up as a okay. sort of a non racialized cultural difference from someone in my mind I was thinking about it as someone in my own family and maybe it wasn't the best example but I was just thinking about I was trying to give an example of how culture can can bypass um Things that feel cosmetic and can make you feel sort of a lizard-brained fee- fear.
1: Well, I was going to say the thing is that we believe that culture is more than cosmetic, and that's why those fears get activated. Right. And those beliefs are—it's not. I'm not trying to place judgment or blame on people, myself included, who have those beliefs about culture. It's the soci- It's the societies that we grow up in. It's what it's like to be, you know, human on this plane. You're in. Situations where you're taught all of these different belief systems based on cosmetic and external things. That's what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. And so therefore, when it comes to your mother's issues about spending money, it stems directly from coming up from a place of lack and of not having it. And so that allows me anyway, to be compassionate and recognize like, well, I do understand. I may not even agree with, in this particular instance, why there's what I would consider to be a cheapness being activated regarding the spending of money, but I do get it, I understand, because, you know, mom grew up in a situation where they didn't have. And so, lovingly, we try to then get her to see, like, maybe move to a different place regarding her relationship to money. You know, we aren't in that place anymore. You know, It's
0: interesting, though, how culture suffuses things in so many ways. Cosmetic as it is, I think it hovers above our humanness, right? It's, true. It, it's, um, I don't mean to indicate that it's not a, a, a real thing to people Right You know what I'm saying Like yeah. race
1: and that, that's, it, it, I, mean, it, I think that's similar... your
0: point that, that, that we have this core humanness um, right. that, that is often refracted in weird ways Through the lens of culture
1: Well and I was going to say to, to link it to the discussion of race As a social construct You know it's true Race is a social construct It doesn't mean that people aren't being killed because right. of other
0: people's condition, cultural conditioning vis-a-vis race, so and, and I'm not that, saying that's that. where the fear yeah. thing comes in. Because yeah. I, I think the most exa- the most obvious example in this day and age of fear is the fear of the black male, right? Like I was using a random example about, about spending money that was class based, but there's a lot of bad law enforcement decisions, for example, that have yes. been made out of lizard brain fear, which is again getting a really bad refraction through that cultural lens that is piled up upon. And I mean, that's that's a whole other episode, and I, I don't want to go too deep into that political Certainly. situation, but that's also a cultural thing. And I think when you travel, again, not to self-congratulate uh, ourselves too much as travelers, but you understand the complexity of cultural lenses. Um, you were bringing up a bunch of human commonalities. One thing that you didn't mention that actually touches on a lot of the factors, you know, love, security that you're talking about is the idea of brotherhood. And I think brotherhood is something that I idealize, and maybe all oh, people should idealize. And I think it's a conversation that gets lost out sometimes, um, which has been part of the fun of this. I mean, this is like this is going to be nearly an hour of a, a day and a half conversation, right? That we've <laughs> we've had in front of it. But I think the core part of it is brotherhood, which is part of the dance, you know, that that friendships between men in America and the idea that it can be part of that dance that brotherhood can be a way of sharing um and this is going to sound like a bromide I guess just a very generic statement but just sort of sharing our humanity um as an ideal through all through all those cultural differences that might have made us not see our brotherhood you know Right. Does that make
1: sense? Well, it does. And again, I, I always default to the idea of looking beyond the differences. Right. Celebrating the differences. I'm not saying... I'm I definitely... Not a subscriber to colorblindness right. in Be- any of because its... because colorblind is sort of a
0: wolf whistle. I mean, of course it is. Yeah,
1: but I mean, in the sense of that, you know, and 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 not just in terms of actual the physical color, but other whatever difference that you can come up with. I'm all about technicolor. I'm all about the kaleidoscope because I do believe that that's the beauty of humanity. So if we look at that, that we are all one, and we're also all very different with our in our design, because that colorblindness also indicates one particular design as being the standard, right? Whereas I don't believe there's any standard. Mm -hmm. There's just, you know, the fact that we're here and we're humans. And so looking at it then, you know, when I was thinking about what you were saying in terms of brotherhood, and especially in terms of male uh, friendship and and non-romantic love, you know, male love, male intimacy, Mm -hmm. without the sexual aspect to it. Right. Um, Which is sort of what I'm talking about, brotherhood. I
0: don't want to gender it too much. I I know,
1: but I guess the thing is when we look at it, we we keep trying to take, not you, but in general, these conversations, people keep trying to take love out of it. Yeah. The relationship between good friends is love. And people keep, you know, we're taught to put romance, and, and, and when I say romance, I mean like the actual, you know, the intimate relationship between two people as in a love match kind of a thing, versus mm-hmm. the other types of love that you get in, from your friends. And the things that I get from my male friends, I get from my female friends. That sense of understanding, that sense of you know being able to relate, that sense of commonality, that sense of community, regardless of how they look on the, the outside. And so I think the focus on it being men, bonding on one hand less importance needs to be put on that just because there are other people and the bonding needs to happen with other people regardless because what i get from good male friends i get from good female friends on the other hand though i believe that in terms of becoming better people for society the focus does need to be on relationships between men because once men have better relationships one with themselves and then with other men they can have better relationships with the women in their lives, the children in their lives, right. and so I am going to split the difference here and say it is important. One, in certain ways, to devalue the relationships that you know, the, the idea of I need to you know focus on how I'm relating to other men, but then it, 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 just because you you can get that emotion you sh- you ideally would be able to get emotional fulfillment from yourself, one, but also from from whatever other human being. But then on the other side, also looking at the fact that as souls inhabiting these male bodies, we do have a responsibility to make sure that, to to improve the relationship between all human beings, we focus on the relationship that we have between right. others like us,
0: most like us first. Right, yeah, there's, there's a cornice to, yeah, fixing uh, how, how one relates to each other as men Affects how one relates to all all of our relationships, you know. Right. uh, Spreading outward, you know. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) On that note, we have arrived in Wichita. I have a very hungry guest, uh, Ernest White. How can we find you online?
1: Um. uh, You can find me in many different ways. Uh, One of them is through my, uh, I guess, my travel site, Flybrother.net. Which Uh, which is going to be a TV show. I, yes, there's, it, it's got many different aspects to it. There's a television show that uh, it's a hybrid reality travel show where we connect with people. It's all about connection. It's all about interacting with people across backgrounds and boundaries. My, my friends around the world, we hang out and, and, and do fun things and it just shows that when you travel you make amazing friendships and, and lifelong connections. And uh, we're in post-production now. Uh, anybody interested in investing or advertising? Definitely, I'm interested in talking to you. So uh, you can find that at, at flybrother.net. And my email address is Ernest, E R N E S T, at flybrother.net. And then there's also my uh, site as uh, a, a storyteller and explorer, ErnestWhite2.com, E R N E S T, white2. Numeral 2. Numeral 2. Not Roman numeral 2. Okay, not II. Not II dot uh, com as well so that's you know and then there's facebook fly at fly brother sorry instagram at fly brother i'm old and uh very analog
0: right well, s- well seriously check that out because i'm excited by the idea of uh of Ernest taking fly brother to television and so flybrother.net hey, it's been great talking we have arrived at wichita airport let's get some food what do you think all right man i'm down for it and thank you for having me my, my pleasure This has been the Deviate with Rolf Potts podcast. More about everything that was just mentioned in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. This episode was produced by Justin Glow with music as always by my nephew, Cedar Van Tassel, who also designed my logo. Thanks for listening. And I hope you tune in for future episodes of the Deviate with Rolf Potts podcast.